So during a session meeting several months ago, Taylor announced that he was taking some vacation, and there were two Sundays he would be unavailable to preach. John Schwartz preached one of those Sundays, and I volunteered to take the other, so you're stuck with me this morning. I say yes to things way too easily. Um, after agreeing to preach, I soon realized that I'd actually have to do it. Um, so I prayed and asked God to reveal to me what all of you needed to hear. The answer God gave me was, don't worry about what they need to hear. I know what you need to hear. So the sermon this morning is really me preaching to myself, and you all get to listen in. Um, I know that over the past month or so of preparation for this morning, I've been very convicted And in God's wisdom, I pray that there will be value in the things that God has been teaching to me for you as well. Let's pray this morning. Dear Lord, you are so gracious and kind to us, unceasingly patient and merciful, and we we pray that you would help us this morning as we open your word, that you would grant us some understanding, that we would see things there that we have not seen before, that you um, would help us to become more like Christ through the things that we read and learn. I pray that your gospel would be evident this morning, that it would be impactful and that... uh, we might be able to apply some things to our lives that would be helpful to us and to those around us. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What are the qualities that we value in our leaders? I don't mean the qualities that we really think about if we sit down and think hard and make a list I think we can all come up with some pretty good traits and have a good idea of what a leader should be when we do that. I'm talking about um, what traits do we see in the people that reflexively make us think, wow, that's a leader. So Try it this way. If If I ask you to list some great leaders, think of a few people that come to mind right away, and then ask yourself what makes you think of them as a leader. I know I did this and I came up with some historical figures like Alexander the Great and George Washington or great coaches like Vince Lombardi or famous generals like Patton. These towering figures of stoicism and strength. All right, maybe you maybe you're better at this exercise than I was. But if I list out the qualities of a great leader, I think of strength, fortitude, success, integrity, intelligence, courage, respect, maybe great at public speaking. And these are the cultural leadership ideals that are reinforced with countless movies, books, TV shows, stories. Now let's take a look at the Bible. Let's contrast this with some biblical examples of leadership. Who are some of the greatest leaders 
in the Bible. Moses, David, Abraham, Joshua, Daniel, Paul, Jesus. Great leaders? No question. Were they strong, courageous, intelligent? Absolutely. But is that what you think of when you think and picture these men? Are those the characteristics that leap to your mind first? What's the difference? What leadership values are, what leadership traits are valued by God as opposed to those that are valued more highly by man? So for our scripture this morning, we're in the New Testament, we're in John 4, and uh, 1 through 40. So let's take a look at examples and an example of biblical leadership from the greatest leader that's ever walked this earth. Let's look at Jesus this morning. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. 
When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I speak to you, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and have, you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer what you, because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. This is an incredible passage, and there's a few things in this passage that I'd like to focus on this morning. We see Jesus demonstrating his leadership here in a number of ways. In verse 7 through 9, we see this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So first of all, he engages in conversation with this woman, despite the fact that she's a Samaritan. Not only that, but he asks her for a drink. This is practically unthinkable in this culture for a Jew to ask a Samaritan for a drink. Samaritans were considered unclean by the Jews. Yet this is exactly what he does. He goes against convention, against cultural mandates, does what he needs to do in his mission to seek and save the lost. Her response to this is evident in the the verse. The woman is taken aback. She's shocked. This is not expected. And then Jesus says to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
So not only is this woman a Samaritan, she's also an adulteress, a fact which Jesus confronts very directly, head on. He's very firm as he calls out her sin, and yet it's more than that. He confronts her sin, but he does so in a way that prompts further discussion. He is strong, yet he is gentle in his approach. This gentle approach with her from the beginning, asking for water and continuing as he confronts her sin, is more than mere condemnation, much more. Instead of condemning her, he calls her out and offers her forgiveness, offers offers her an alternative to condemnation. We see in this passage a wonderful example of gentleness, which we'll examine in some detail this morning. A term often used interchangeably with meekness. Gentleness and meekness go hand in hand. Gentleness refers to actions that are characterized by an attitude of meekness. So mischaracterized and misjudged and not highly highly valued in our society, particularly in men, particularly in leaders, I think maybe we want to start by tackling what gentleness is not. Gentleness is not weakness. It is not timidity. It is not characterized by cowardice. Being shy, incapable, or afraid does not produce gentleness. Quite the contrary. We see that in John 4. Jesus was not timid, not by any means. He broke all societal conventions just to speak to this woman. He was not weak. He spoke with authority and with strength. He was not afraid. He directly confronted the woman's sin. Gentleness is not passivity. You cannot exhibit gentleness by standing on the sidelines and watching why others suffer pain and injustices. Jesus didn't ignore the woman as most Jews would. Gentleness is not indifference. You cannot exhibit gentleness without first having a genuine heartfelt concern for others. Jesus showed obvious concern for this woman. Here's what gentleness is. Gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is power under restraint. Gentleness is being meek, not weak. Gentleness is being submissive to God, not to people. Gentleness is being respectful, not rude. Gentleness is being compassionate, not indifferent. Gentleness is authority exercised with humility. Gentleness is not natural. It's not something we produce from within ourselves. Gentleness is produced in us by God as we abide in him and in his word. It's a reflection of God's character and grace in our lives. 
gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Every Christian exhibits these fruits in different measure. None of these fruits of the Spirit stand on their own. No one is patient and kind without possessing love and self-control. And likewise, gentleness is produced in us through the work of the Holy Spirit as we are sanctified, usually through trial, tribulation, hardship, and pain, as God works to bring us into alignment with him. As we become more like Christ, we will invariably display more gentleness. As gentleness doesn't stand on its own, there are some foundational characteristics. Strength, meekness, submission, compassion, humility. Without these traits, at least in some measure, true gentleness is not possible. Strength. A gentle nature can only come from a position of strength and security. Picture a father wrapping his arms around a young child in comfort and protection. In the passage from John, we see Jesus gently rebuke the Samaritan woman, strong, compassionate, and gentle. When I think of strong and gentle, I often picture Aslan from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan, C.S. Lewis's Christ analog, appears in Narnia as a large and terrifying but equally magnificent wise lion with kind eyes. He appears in different sizes to different people, although he himself never really changes. As people grow in wisdom and character, they can perceive more of his greatness. Aslan is very wise and a powerful force for good, but as Narnians often say, he's not a tame lion. He is dangerous and an unconquerable enemy, but he is unquestionably good. A great and powerful lion that strikes fear into all who are evil, and yet enduringly protective, tender, and gentle for those in his care. We ourselves cannot be protective and gentle if we are feel fearful timid, or uncertain. True strength is required. And strength doesn't come from within us, but from the surety of Christ's finished work on the cross. Christ has already defeated everything that we have to fear. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death itself. Nothing, nothing can touch us. Is there a greater strength than that? In addition to strength, gentleness requires meekness, submissiveness, and humility. Meekness, submissive, and humility. Meekness, submissiveness, and humility, easy for me to say, are varying facets of the same idea. These products of Christ likeness come from an understanding of our position in relation to God. 
knowing that apart from God we have no value. None. Zero. And yet, because God has seen fit to care for us and to be merciful to us, because God sent his son to die for us and to redeem us with his blood, because of that, we do have value. Value that is not from anything redeemable within ourselves, but value that comes from the price that was paid for us. It's outside of our ability to even conceive, but God deemed us to be worth the life of the Son of God. We have a God who loves us, cares for us, and has paid the ultimate price for us. Knowing this and truly believing this in our hearts means trusting in him. When we trust in him, when we really, truly trust in him, we commit to him and we put our fears, our anxieties, our frustrations, our concerns, our plans, we put everything at his feet. This results in an attitude of humility and meekness. Again, meekness is not weakness. It's a quiet confidence. Confidently resting in the assurance of Jesus, the meek don't need to be combative or defensive. The meek, are, <clears throat> the meek and humble are slow to speak, quick to listen, always seeking to learn, and appreciate correction from others. When the meek find it necessary to confront sin or to correct a fellow believer, they are able to do so with deep conviction and in their complete dependence on the grace of God. In Numbers, Moses is described as the meekest and most humble man on earth. He was not timid. He was not weak. He faced off against Pharaoh. the unbelievably powerful ruler of Egypt. He did so reluctantly, but he did so out of faith with full trust in God. In Hebrews 11, verses 20 through 28, we, we read, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. The meekest man on earth was meek by virtue of his faith and his assurance. Gentleness also requires compassion. Colossians 3.12 Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Why would we ever be gentle with someone if we didn't care about them? 
Again, humility is key to this. Knowing that our only value comes from the price Jesus paid for us puts things in perspective. Knowing, living it out, knowing that we're not better, more deserving, or more worthy than even the lowest dregs of humanity. I think this is the reason that God laid this topic on my heart. I'm a prideful man. (laughs) I want to be strong. I want to think that I can fix things on my own. I just want to tough it out and prove my worth. I can tell you without a doubt it doesn't work. Never has. I've failed every time. It's only when I've given up, recognized that I am inadequate, and given in to God's rebuke that I've seen positive change in my life. I fight against it every time, but God always wins. And he's humbled me many times in my life. I need to be reminded and humbled often. When we are humbled and know we live only through the mercy of Jesus Christ, it allows us to see others in a different light, to be compassionate. Compassion is important in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is important in our dealings with our families, friends, coworkers, and everyone we come into contact with. That annoying coworker isn't just an annoying coworker. That exasperated barista in the coffee shop isn't just a barista. That neighbor that never mows their lawn and plays their music way too loud isn't just a nuisance to be ignored. Each and every person we meet is an eternal being made in God's image. I'll say that again. Each and every person we meet is an eternal being made in God's image. God loves us. God shows us mercy and compassion. Can we do any less for those that he puts in our path? Why is gentleness important? Why is it a why is it a fruit of the spirit? We see that gentleness isn't weakness. It's not timidity or fear. Its foundation is strength, submission to God, humility, and compassion. But why? Why is it important? Gentleness is a powerful force for good in the world. It's a reflection of the character of God, who is slow to anger and merciful. If we are to be like Christ... We are to demonstrate all of the fruits of the Spirit, including gentleness. Look again at how Jesus interacts with the woman at the well in John 4. I read this passage, and then I tried to imagine how the conversation would have been if I'd been the one at the well instead of Jesus. The picture I come away with is not a flattering one. I probably would have avoided contact, for one thing. I might have treated her with some disdain, probably not intentionally, but an attitude is evident even if we try to hide it. 
I can't picture initiating any kind of meaningful conversation. Jesus, on the other hand, is bold, yet gentle. He's firm and direct, yet not unkind. The woman takes notice right from the start. Even considering that Jesus knows intimate details about her life, a feat we can't hope to replicate, even taking that into account, the gentle approach that Jesus uses is totally unexpected, takes her off guard, provides an opportunity for deeper discussion, and causes the woman to tell everyone she knows about it. This is countercultural. This is life changing. This exposes many more people to Jesus' teaching just from a simple interaction at a well. I think that many of us, I'm speaking for myself here, I think that many of us struggle with how to respond adequately to the brokenness around us. How do you relate to the LGBTQ plus community in an appropriate way? How do, we re, do, how do we respond to that neighbor that drives us crazy? How do we comf, confront the brother or sister in church that we feel has wronged us? Jesus shows us an example in this passage. He models the proper behavior. Truth applied with gentleness changes relationships. Remember, gentleness does not come from a position of moral superiority. Rather, it comes from humility based on faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When we feel we've been wronged even by someone in the church, particularly someone in the church, are we able to apply gentleness when we deal with that situation? And remember, gentleness is not indifference. Ignoring the problem is not gentleness. Just hoping that person will, you know, will just let it go away. That's, that's how I, I like to respond to things that are uncomfortable. Just let it go. That's not gentleness. Applying gentleness requires confronting the person, yet speaking calmly, listening attentively, and seeking understanding. Easy, right? I solved it all. (laughs) I am not suggesting this is easy. I don't even get this right with my own wife most of the time. As I've prepared and studied for this over the past month or so, I've been very convicted by my interactions with others. So many regrets. Interactions with my family, my friends, with some of you. Regrets over missed opportunities. Opportunities where I could have said something to someone God's put in my path but didn't because I was afraid. What do I have to be afraid of? The battle's already been won. Jesus defeated my enemies. Yet, I'm afraid. Afraid of making a bad impression. Afraid of being foolish. Afraid of being offensive. I was afraid to stand up here today. Or I go the other way. 
I say something I shouldn't have or in a way I shouldn't. I speak harshly or without thought. Usually, this happens with someone I love. I'm sure my wife could paint you a picture. That's not what gentleness looks like. It's neither ignoring a problem or an opportunity, nor is it speaking too quickly or too harshly. Gentleness is taking every opportunity, secure in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and applying authority and strength with humility and compassion. Gentleness changes relationships. Gentleness changes lives. So we primarily looked at one passage this morning from John, but there are many others. Just in the life of Jesus, there's so many. Matthew 11, 28 and 30, Jesus invites us to come to him and learn from him, for he is gentle and humble in heart. He offers us rest for our souls, and his yoke is easy and light. In John 8, Jesus deals with another woman caught in adultery, but he does so with gentleness and grace. He doesn't condemn her but forgives her and tells her to sin no more. And he exposes the hypocrisy of her accusers who wanted to stone her. John 13, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Even Judas, who he knows will betray him, he shows them an example of humble service and love and teaches them to do likewise. John 18, Jesus surrenders himself to his enemies without resistance, without violence, He heals the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest who Peter wounded with the sword. He tells Peter to put away his sword, for those who live by the sword will die by the sword. This is a model for us. This is leadership. So again, to summarize, gentleness is not weakness, cowardice or being timid. It's not being indifferent or passive. Gentleness is having a profound strength rooted in faithful submission to God and the firmness of conviction that produces an attitude of meekness resulting in humility and a compassionate approach to relationships. God places a great value on gentleness. He praises the meek and the gentle, and Jesus provides us with the perfect model for it. We need to nurture gentleness in our own lives and look for it in our leaders. In our culture, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are not valued highly enough. Of these, it seems that even in the church we often forget gentleness or at least deprioritize it. My challenge to you this morning My challenge to myself this morning is to search your hearts, consider your interactions, your relationships. Be gentle with others. Don't be judgmental, critical, or harsh with others who are wrong or offend you. Remember that everyone is made in God's image and needs grace. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Some of you may need to be gentle with yourselves. Don't be hard on yourself when you make mistakes or fall short of God's standards. Remember that God loves you and forgives you, and he is working in you to make you more like Christ. 
Be gentle with God. Don't resist or rebel against God's will or word for your life. Remember that God knows what is best for you, and he has a good plan for you. Trust him, obey him, and submit to his authority and guidance. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you humbly this morning. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that you show to us. We pray that you would help us to grow in gentleness. That you would help us to recognize opportunities that you give to us and that we could approach those in humility, in boldness, in assurance of faith, but in humility and in gentleness. I pray that you would help us as we love one another, that we would do just that, that we would love one another, that we would exhibit all of the fruits of the Spirit within this body, that we would be known outside these walls as a church that loves one another. I pray that you would help us in our families, that we would not be harsh, quick to judge, that we would be soft-spoken, considerate, unwavering in what is right, but also gentle. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.